Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. As we uh, enter these days, like Pentecost today, days in Advent, days in Lent, days of ordinary time, we're not merely recounting a story. We are being gathered up into the story anew and again and again. So today is not a day where we merely remember that the Holy Spirit has come to us, that we mark that on some kind of biblical timeline and remember that it happened and recount the story. It's the day where we are embraced again by the very living and present reality of the Holy Spirit. We are desperate for God's Spirit to come in new ways. We are desperate to see truth that has been clouded to us or that we have clouded for ourselves. We're desperate to see God's awakening come in our hearts, in our families, in our city, in our country. The Assyrian Empire had leveled Israel's northern kingdom. And 200 years later, the vast Babylonian Empire ransacked Jerusalem, carrying off the political, religious, military elite, leaving the city, Judah, and essentially the entire nation of Israel as a wasteland of smoke and rubble. Ezekiel, Ezekiel, Israel's prophet, he was carried off to Babylon. And from there, God called Ezekiel to do his work, to prophesy, to be a prophet. Ezekiel was to speak God's words in the most ridiculous moment, in the very middle of the most powerful empire the world had ever known, that very empire that spelled Israel's ruin. Whatever hope God had given over the centuries, whatever their history together, whatever promises, it was all gone now. It had been crushed by Babylon. And Ezekiel says that the hand of the Lord was upon me. And this is the normal phrase that Ezekiel would use to talk about a vision that God had given him through the Spirit. It's, it's an image of like a mother or a father placing their hand on the shoulder of a daughter or son and gripping tight to say, I'm here, I'm close, I'm near. This was not Ezekiel's vision. This was God's vision that God gave to Ezekiel, and that is really crucial. It's interesting, over the past five or ten years, the words of Prophecy and being a prophet and being prophetic have actually come back in vogue in lots of ways. 
it's really important to remember that a prophet is not ever important because of who they are. It's because God has spoken and they are a mouthpiece. In some circles, prophecy means telling the future. In other circles, it means primarily pronouncing some kind of harsh judgment against someone. In other circles, it means primarily social critique. In Scripture, prophecy means boldly speaking the word that God has spoken. It is declaring God's action in the world. So it may have any element of any of these other pieces, but the bottom line is that God is the one who is speaking. And most often in Scripture, the prophets come with trembling voices. So God places God's hand on Ezekiel and carries him into a valley filled with bones. And Ezekiel walked in and out among these brittle bones that were parched by the blazing sun. And as you get the image here, it's that there is a scattering of bones all over the valley floor. It's not even skeletons, as awful and grotesque as that would be. It's not corpses, as awful as that would be. It is so far past any of that. It is just bones that bear no resemblance whatsoever of the humanity that once they ennobled. There is no memory. There's nothing left to identify as human anymore. The path that I run on um, from my house, uh, it goes up by the creek and goes up the, the path up the, the Warner Parkway and then to this part where the Ravana Trail sort of splits off. And over the past uh, two years since we've lived there, it's kind of weird. About once every two months on that trail, I will happen upon a remnant of some beast that has been dismantled. I took this picture just, uh, <laughs> you can move on past that, thank you. It's a little freaky happening upon these things. And in fact, in one place where I, <laughs> was that my fault? <laughs> Sorry. In fact, in one, in one place, uh, right around where some of these pieces are found, there is a little bridge. And one time I came upon this bridge and there were six like vultures, three on each side, lined up perfectly like sentinels. And they were both looking and I had to run right through the middle of them. <laughs> I sprinted. <laughs> I, was, I was so afraid. So I have no idea what kind of beasts are living at in these woods that are taking out these deer. But the bones that Ezekiel describes is way worse than this. There's nothing left to identify what it even was. Robert Jensen puts it this way, Israel was well and truly dead. 
a strewing of remains, no longer even skeletal, so definitely, definitively of the past that the bones have separated and preserve no personal identities. No one can even point and say, alas, poor Israel, I knew them well. Have you ever walked in a valley of death? Have you ever seen life absolutely gone? Ezekiel tells us that Israel is chanting a death dirge. There's poetry actually in this language, so we are better to hear it in, the, in its literal Hebrew. It goes like this. Dried up our bones, perished our hope, cut off we ourselves. And they're chanting this in the valley of dry bones. Dried up our bones, perished our hope, cut off we ourselves. Dried up our bones, perished our hope, cut off we ourselves. Dried up our bones, perished our hope, cut off we ourselves. Had God's promise to Israel through Abraham that they would be a great nation, that they would bless every nation of the world, was that promise disintegrated? And there, drowning amid those nameless, parched bones, picked so dry that even the buzzards were long gone, God asks Ezekiel a question. Can these bones live? Ezekiel, can these bones live? And some of us today hear God's word, and our answer is no. No, these bones cannot live. What's Ezekiel supposed to say here? I mean, he's a prophet for crying out loud. So he does the best he can. He says, only you know the answer to that question. Only you know whether the bones can live. Because there's nothing left there's nothing for Israel to work with. The story is over. The promise is dead. The future is just strewn across a scorched desert floor. All that you can do in this moment is mourn the death of things. But God had asked a question. Ezekiel, son of man, can these bones live? Only you know. And thanks be to God, God does know the answer to this question. And God gives Ezekiel ridiculous instructions. Okay, prophet, it's your time now. I want you to prophesy to the bones. 
Do you hear how ridiculous this sounds? I want you to prophesy to the bones. And I want you to say to the bones, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Aren't all of us in one way or another at some time or another just really dry bones? Isn't really what we're doing at this moment is that one bag of dry bones is trying to proclaim to another room of dry bones and trying to say, hear the word of the Lord. Whatever other voices you are hearing, Hear the word of the Lord. Whatever voices of death and ruin, hear the word of the Lord. Whatever voices are pulling you away from the God who is the lover of your soul, hear the word of the Lord. What every other bit of knowledge and wisdom we have accumulated that we think is so powerful and that will rescue us and save us, hear the word of the Lord. I think at its core, this is what preaching is supposed to be. It's supposed to be proclaiming to the community of faith, hear God's word, open our heart, open our ears. There are dry bones everywhere. We are desperate to hear the word of the Lord. It's the refrain after we hear scripture read, we, we, we say, this is the word of the Lord. And all of us say, thanks be to God. <laughs> it's what we need. It's the prayer before a sermon. When I pray either to Jesus or to the Holy Spirit, I say, open our ears, help us to hear, open our mind, open our heart. We're desperate to hear the word of the Lord. And Ezekiel continues his message, but he wants to be very clear that this is not his message. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones, Ezekiel says. I want y'all to know this is not what I'm saying, Ezekiel. That is crazy. I just have to tell you what the sovereign Lord has said. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. I will recreate you. I will take what is absolutely gone and I will once again make creation happen. It happens in two stages. It's just like the narrative in Genesis where God creates the first humans. Do you remember how he forms the body from the dust of the ground, 
but they're not really living souls yet until what? Until he breathes into their nostrils the breath of life, until God breathes the spirit of God into their bodies. In the same way, we have this the same picture here. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. They weren't living yet. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath prophesy son of man and say to it this is what the sovereign lord says come from the four winds o breath and breathe into these slain that they might live so i prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them they came to life and stood up on their feet a vast army god breathed and what was dead came to life. Humans became human again. This breath is the spirit of God breathing life into our lungs, breathing life into the lifeless corpse of the world. But this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. And I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. I will put my breath in you. I will put my spirit in you and you will live. Church, do you want to live? Do you want to live? So can these bones live again? Pentecost is when Easter and resurrection explode into humanity. It's not the end of a story. We don't finish Easter. It's when Easter, if you could put it this way, goes viral. By the very spirit of the one who rose that same Jesus from the dead. Because Jesus, when he arrives on the scene, gathers into his very body all of the people of Israel and all of the promises of the Old Testament. And Jesus in his very body gathers together all of humanity. And Jesus is raised from the dead. And that resurrection of Jesus is the answer to God's question, can these bones live? So the answer is an absolute and affirmative yes. These bones can live. No, death does not win. No, the valley of dry bones is not the end of the story. It is not the end of the story for Israel. It is not the end of the story for you. It is not the end of the story for humanity. And in Pentecost, we stand here in wonder because we see 
how God has done it. We see that this is exactly what God is doing at Pentecost. That God is sending this breath of the Holy Spirit and filling the minds and the hearts and the language and the bodies and the possibilities and the imaginations and the futures of a people who thought the story was done. And God is doing it now. And God is doing it with us. And the question is, will we have it? Will we have it? Would you pray with me? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.